Well, good evening. Oh, come on. That was horrible. Good evening. You can do much better than that. I know this church. I love this church. I'm an extension of this church and so thankful to be with you guys tonight. Yeah. When we moved uh, from Fort Lauderdale over a year ago, you welcomed us, you loved us, you received us. Um, your pastor, I, I don't even know how to begin to tell you how much I love that man. Um, just so thankful for him. He's a big brother in the Lord to me. Um, we have a competition on a frequent basis on how who loves more. Um, our text messages are usually an argument, no, love you more, no, love you more, love you the most. Um, occasionally I win, occasionally he wins, um, but usually he wins. So, so thankful to be with you guys this evening. Um, how about worship, huh? You know, I, I was singing, but I was watching Pete, you know, and I, I was a lifeguard for years, and so I watch people. So if you catch me staring at you, I'm not weird, it's just in me. And I'm sitting there looking at Pete, and don't you just love the enthusiasm to tell Jesus thank you? You know, it's just one of those, remember that song, um, when, when we get to heaven, I don't know if I'll dance, I don't know if I'll be able to say anything at all. You know, it's just kind of like, it's Pete's song, and I think he knows what he'll be doing, dancing. Um, I just was so, so inspired. We get to get Doxa um, at Lyft on Monday night, and so I'm excited to, uh, I just love sitting out in the audience and being a part of worship, and so I get a double dose of him in the next, in the group in the next uh, three days, so thankful for that. Um, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 44, as well as Romans chapter 8, so you want to keep your finger in both. Psalms, man, it is good to be with you guys. It's really good to be with you guys. Pastor Jeff, uh, he texted me right before we started our war, right before. Love you, love you more, love you, love you more. Um, But uh, he's just so excited to get back here. And I'm just so honored that he would share this pulpit with me. Um, I love you guys. Every time I come here, I just feel like I, you know how like you you go away for a trip, you go to college, and then, you know, the sun always comes home. You know, I came home and, you know, What's best, okay, is Edwin and Nancy, all right? I don't, do you guys ever visit the cafe? When I got to the back, there were my chocolate chip cookies. You know, there's nothing as heavenly as those chocolate chip cookies. Have you guys had one? Have you had one? Yeah. Plan on a 10-mile run tomorrow, okay? One of them could kill you, but they are insanely incredible. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word and read from Psalm chapter 44? Psalm chapter 44 is where we're going to start. Would you stand with me as we honor God and his word? To the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. We've heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us the deeds you did in their days and days of old. You drove out the nations with your hand, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples and cast them out, for they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their arm save them, but it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance, because you favored them. You are my king, O God. 
command victories for Jacob. Through you we will push down our enemies. Through your name we will trample those who rise up against us. I won't trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. But you've heard, you have saved us from our enemies and have put to shame those who hated us. In God we boast all day long and praise your name forever. Selah. Would you pray with me? How blessed we are that you would give us the revelation of your word, O God. And how thankful we are that you would not leave us here, that we might try to figure out how to live this life. But you gave us instruction. You gave us knowledge. And we we just so bless your name for what you have done. We rejoice like the psalmist in your deeds. And we praise you this evening. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please have your seat. This is the first of three parts of this psalm. I will praise your name forever. In fact, the purpose of the psalms, the psalms themselves, this psalm, telahim, it means to praise, to give glory to God. And the psalmist here, it's a time in Israel's history when they are praising God for all of the work that God did through Joshua the conqueror. Oh, you remember Joshua. He goes in while Moses had the get out and get through the wilderness ministry. Joshua, he marched into the promised land with the divide and conquer ministry. And here, well, the Israelites, they are giving praise to God for all that he has done. Praising God for his power. Praising God for his grace. Praising God for his salvation. Giving all glory and honor to God. This past summer, Calvary Chapel South Bay helped sponsor a trip to Liberia. And we were able to plant 10 more churches because of your faithfulness. I praise God for that. And I praise God for what he has done through this church to expand, not just in the Philippines, but all over the world, reaching into Africa as well. Well, in fact, on this particular trip, there's something else that I want to praise God for. It was my 11-year-old son. You see, I took my 11-year-old son with me, and when we got to Africa, I told him, son, I'm going to leave you in a village for two days, and then I'm going to come back and get you. Dad, that was not part of the deal. You, you, you did not tell me when we got on the plane that I'm going to stay in a village. No, no, no. It's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. Well, lo and behold, I have a picture of him. I would love to show it to you. Unfortunately, I didn't get it in time. And then I came back two days later, and, well, one of those things did not look like the other, and it was my white cream puff sun, you know, as white as the shining sun with all of these wonderful African children all around him. He had taken over the village in two days. And wherever this child went, these little African children just followed him all around. It so blessed me. And I'm going to tell you why it blessed me. I'm going to tell you why I praised God. Because he was nervous. He was afraid. He did it because I asked him, his dad. 
And he conquered his fear because his father said, would you do this? Would you stay here? And then would you do something while you're here? And I wonder, I wonder if the way that I felt is the way that our heavenly father feels when we praise him and do the things that he asks us to do despite our current situation, despite our fears, despite the way that we feel about it. You see, the praise of Psalm 44 is even more profound when you discover the predicament they're in. We enter the second portion of this psalm. Would you take a look now at verse 9? But you have cast us off and put us to shame, and you do not go out with our armies. Now let me explain what this word means in the Hebrew. You You have cast us off. This word means abhorred. In other words, now they move from this place of praise in this second portion of this psalm, and they say, God, why do you hate us? God, you don't even go out with our armies. You've deserted us. Look at verse 10. You make us turn back from the enemy, and those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. God, I feel so defeated. I mean, they're winning. Look at verse 11. You've given us up like sheep intended for food and have scattered us among the nations. You sell your people for next to nothing and are not enriched even by selling them. God, we feel so devalued. We feel so deserted, defeated, devalued. Look at verse 13. You make us a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to all those around us. You make us a byword among the nations, a shaking of the head among the peoples. It's like this. Oh, you see, they feel so disgusted. Verse 15, my dishonor is continually before me and the shame of my face has covered me. This particular group in this time of Israel, they feel so dishonored. Here's what they're asking. God, are you there? Hey, hey God, do you care? And for a moment, as Jesus would describe himself through all of the Psalms, we can almost hear the, cl- the cry of Messiah on the cross that he would scream from Psalm 22, Why have you forsaken me? Have you ever cried that? Have you ever felt so deserted and defeated devalued, felt so disgusted, so dishonored, and cried out to God. So many people, they say to me, don't ever ask God why. And I respond with, then why did Jesus? This was not a faithless question. This was a question of humanity crying out on the midst of the, in the midst of the cross. You see, this word in verse 15, maybe you want to circle it, my dishonor. This word means confused. They were confused. Why were they so confused? Would you look now with me? Let's start in uh, Psalm chapter 44, verse 16. Because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles, because of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, but we've not forgotten you. 
nor have we dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart is not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way, but you have severely broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. God, wait a second. We feel so deserted, defeated, and devalued, but wait a second. We're living our life for you, and it seems that you've delivered us to the depths of despair. You've taken us to the place of jackals. The truth is, Jesus said it best and said, in fact, it's a fact of life. The rain is going to fall on the just and the unjust. There are simply going to be good times and there are going to be bad times. In fact, at the end of our life, if we add up and discover what were the good times, how much were the bad times, we might find out that the good and the bad might just balance each other out. The rain is going to fall on the just and the unjust. Now remember, I, I was telling you about my 11-year-old and I took him to Liberia. Let me tell you another time that I took my son out. I took him spearfishing. I'm a spear fisherman. I, well, let me just say this. I don't spearfish in California. In Florida and the Bahamas, we have sharks that bite us and leave us alone. Here in California, you have sharks that eat you whole. So I'm not killing any fish in the ocean in California. Um, I'm just going, in, uh, I'm a surfer as well, so you know, I, I, I'll be on top of the water, but I'm not going to put any blood in the water on purpose, okay? So when I was spearfishing in Florida, in the Bahamas, I took my son with me and we went out. Well, we were going out one particular day and while we were out there, the current was really just on us and we're trying to swim and we're trying to swim and my son goes, Dad, you gotta help me. I go, come on, son, you can do it, buddy. And I dove down, and he didn't want to stay on top by himself, so he dove down with me. We looked at a reef. We came back up, and he's swimming to me. And he goes, Dad, you've got to help me. I go, come on, son. I dive back down again, and he has to dive back down again. And we come back up, and now the current is pushing him, and he's having to give everything that he's got. And he goes, Dad, you have got to help me. We swim in. I let him swim the whole way in. When we got up on that shore, he took his mask off and his snorkel off and he threw it on the ground. And he looked at me and he goes, what kind of father are you? I was drowning out there. You could have helped me. I kept begging you, please help me, please help me. What kind of father are you? He took his fins off. I'm never going in the water with you again. I got down on my knee and I said, son, where was I? I was always with you. If I always help you, son, you will never get stronger. And so I was with you and I was watching you. And that's exactly, I said to him, what God is doing with us. He's just simply making us stronger. And sometimes it doesn't feel good, but he wants to make us stronger. But he's always with us. He looked at me. Why do you always have to turn everything into a biblical lesson? <laughs> I'm a pastor. You see, there's a tendency for us to feel like Timon, 
God has forgot us. There's a tendency when we feel devalued, when we feel deserted, when we feel defeated, there's a tendency for us to feel like God is no longer with us. It's Psalm chapter 44. Let's take a look at these guys. Psalm chapter 44, verse 20. If we had forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to foreign God, would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart, yet for your sake, we're killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. These guys chose not to stomp off. They chose not to rip off their mask and throw it on the ground or their snorkel and throw it on the ground. No, these guys chose to praise. These guys, despite their situation and the enemy that was against them, they chose to keep the faith. In fact, their suffering because of their devotion to God. You see, this despairing dilemma due to their devotion is the same issue that Paul was dealing with in the first century. In fact, it's the same issue 2,000 years later that we struggle with today. When we are faced with hard times, do we ask the question, God, do you care? God, are you there? Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I'm going to pick up in verse 35. As Paul is dealing with this in the very first century, and I believe for the Holy Spirit to communicate to us, even now today, he says, Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution or famine, or nakedness or peril, or sword? As it is written, For your sake, he pulls from Psalm 44, for your sake we're killed all day long. We are accounted as the sheep, as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Can you stop for just a minute and go back up to verse 35? I want you to see what the first century Christians were going through. It was known as the first Christian holocaust. Look at verse 35. Tribulation. They were going through distress. They were going through persecution. They were going through famine. They were being nakeded in front of people. They were going through peril. They were being killed by the sword. And Paul, we are more than conquerors? What are you talking about? Do you have any idea what we're going through? I just lost my wife in the gladiator arena. What are you talking about? We are more than conquerors. What does this mean when I feel I'm losing the battle, when I feel so devalued, when I feel so defeated? So what Paul wants to do is explain the concept in Psalm 44. And he describes it as being more than a conqueror. You see, if you remember back in Psalm chapter 44, it began with our first part. And our first part was praising God for all the work that God had done through the conqueror, Joshua. But Paul says, no, you're not a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. You see, it's one thing to be a conqueror. It's another thing to be more than a conqueror. You see, when I'm more than a conqueror, even though I'm facing defeat and I'm looking at my situation, I know victory is mine. 
And though I'm perplexed, and though I'm confused, just like the psalmist in chapter 44, I can continue to praise God despite my confusion. And that makes me more than a conqueror. You see, we are more than conquerors. Look now at verse 37. We have to continue the verse through him. Now, this is a very interesting word through him. You see, I had to pass through Huntington Beach, and I had to pass through Long Beach. I had to pass through uh, 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 Wilmington in order to get here and be able to teach tonight. The word through is a journey word. It's a way for us to understand that life is a journey. And as I mentioned to you before, there's going to be good things about the journey, and there's going to be bad things about the journey. Now remember, I told you, I took time in with me to Liberia. Incredible trip. Two days. Let me tell you something. He prayed for a woman. She had a tumor the size of a grapefruit in her stomach. Tumor, size of a grapefruit. Time is with me, my 11-year-old. And I came to him and I said, I want you to pray for her. He lays his hand on her. Lord Jesus, heal her. That was it. That's all he knows to pray. Lord Jesus, heal her. Three days later, she goes to have surgery. The tumor is gone. 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 So now my son says, maybe you should have me pray for you a little bit more often, Dad. (laughs) So on my way here, he calls me. Do you want a prayer? (laughs) I'm like, son, watch your pride, okay? You are not the miracle worker. You are not God's gift. Well, I'm just saying (laughs) the tumor was gone. That's great. That's good. It was an incredible trip until we landed in JFK. He did incredible. He was unbelievable. I mean, it's a long journey for an 11-year-old. And when we landed in New York, I looked over. You see, it was a little bit bumpy. It was just kind of like the whole way down. And I looked over, but before I could tell him, take big breaths, we had landed and he was green. And I said, son, do your best. He goes, where's the bag? (laughs) He grabs the bag in front of everyone, everyone standing up in the aisle waiting to get off the plane. And there is my 11-year-old who's had the most incredible trip you could possibly imagine. (laughs) Right on the plane. It was unbelievable, the poor little guy. And he's just looking at me like, oh, God. Now, if you're a missionary, this don't bother you. Some people are going, I can't believe he's throwing up on stage. (laughs) Listen, he had a great trip, and then he had a bad experience. I need to let you know something that Jesus said. It's a promise that you can claim to. Listen, I'm going to read it for you. You don't need to turn there. This is one of those winner promises. Listen, John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you you may have peace. In the world, here's God's will, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Everybody always goes, what's God's will for my life? Tribulation. (laughs) Name it and claim that one in Jesus' name. You will have tribulation. And when you walk out here tonight, I know God's will. I'm going to face my trial. And I'm going to face my worries. Listen, he says, in this world, you will. That's a promise from God. 
You're going to have tribulation. Our peace is not found in our circumstance and in our situation. He says, in me you have peace. I've spoken these things to you so that you can have peace. He says, I have overcome. I have overcome. Now let me tell you what Jesus is communicating. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about his death. He's talking about his burial. He's talking about the overcoming at his resurrection. And if anyone knew hard times, is it not Jesus? If anyone felt devalued, if anyone felt deflated, if anyone felt defeated, if anyone felt disgusted as naked, he marched up that hill and was crucified on that tree. If anyone felt forsaken, would it not be Jesus who knows hard times? And would it not be so clear that the Hebrews writer, the writer of Hebrews could say to us, he's our high priest. He's been through it all. He can sympathize with your weakness. He can sympathize with your weakness. He's with us in the journey because he's already walked it. He's with us in the journey. Just as the same that I was there with my son. And the beautiful part is that he gives us grace to make it through the journey because he loves us. Isn't that the next portion of this verse? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, who loved us. Past tense, Paul is pointing back to the cross. He loved us. The cross has already happened. The death and the burial and the resurrection has already happened. God has shown his love in Jesus Christ. The ultimate display of love as he stretched out his hands on the cross. In fact, John writes in John chapter 3, 16, for God, stop there. He so loved. Not just loved. He so loved. We are so loved that Paul could say, look at Romans chapter 8, 37. Yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Someone should say amen. He so loves us that no matter what we go through, life or death, nothing will separate us from the love of God. Now let me tell you what the promise is. You will go through things. You will go through things. But let me tell you another promise. You are loved. You are loved. Now, because we are loved, he's with us through it. And because, because we are loved, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. All things work together for good to those who love God. Now listen, so then I have a question. Why do bad things need to happen? I mean, I could do without a few bad things every once in a while. How about you? How about one day we just wake up and all day long we have a good day? 
What about one week, Jesus? Just one week. We're the whole week. Give me a month. Give me a month. Listen, I've got nine kids. I got a problem every single moment of every single day. And now my girls are in their teen years. And they think they have a right for boys to like them. <laughs> so they are welcome to like they are welcome to like you and my shotgun. <laughs> my daughter showed me a picture of this boy. And I said, He is hideous. He is not worthy of you. Dad, he's like the cutest kid in the school. Well then this school's got a lot of ugly people. I really say these things. Um, They don't work. (laughs) Scholars offer some reasons why bad things happen. The first of three, listen, scholars say it keeps our focus on heaven. Keeps our, our, our focus on heaven. You see, the mission of God is to conform us into his son. No matter what it takes. That's his mission. The mission of God is that we're sanctified, that we're conformed into the image of Jesus. So scholars say that it allows us to keep our focus on heaven. But number two, scholars say it allows us to witness to the world. It allows the test that we are going through to become a testimony. And so when I get that phone call from the doctor and it's diagnosed exactly what I was hoping that it would not be, that test becomes my testimony. You see, scholars, they also offer, it provides for our spiritual growth. Paul, sometimes I think he's a sick individual. It's Romans chapter 5. It's a beautiful, I want you to read it later. It's Romans chapter 5. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, he says, you guys, I'm going to do it in chat language, you guys, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You know, usually people go like hallelujah or, you know, something like that, Okay. You guys just stared at me like, that's it? I'm going to do one more time, okay? We've got peace with God through Jesus Christ. Okay, Thursday night crew, I know it's late. Stay with me, we're almost done, okay? We've got peace with God through Jesus Christ. So he's announcing this. Now in verse 3, he goes like this. And not only that, we get to suffer. It's like, Paul, are you schizophrenic? We get peace with God and we get to suffer. And he says this, not only do we get to suffer, we know that our suffering will produce perseverance. Our perseverance will produce character and our character will produce hope and hope will not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's easy to clap when we're sitting in church and we haven't gotten the phone call yet. You see... Scholars say that our suffering happens to make us grow. But I want to offer a number four. And if you're taking note, this is the one I want you to maybe write down. And I'm no scholar, but I I maybe think that a little bit differently. But I wonder, number four, maybe our perspectives are way off. You see, Oswald Chambers, he says this. When we get to heaven and we present God all of our problems, we will finally realize they were never a problem at all. Never a problem at all. 
And I wonder, quite frankly, is our perspectives off? Let me explain it like this. I was dating a girl. I won't tell you her name. I was, let's call her Sally. I was dating Sally. That was not her name. So I was dating, because I used her name. Someone looked it up, went on Facebook. It went really wrong. Okay, so here we go. So let's say her name was Sally. If your name is Sally, I'm sorry. So let's say I'm dating Sally, and I was going to marry Sally. I, I'm from the Bahamas. I took her home to my family. I let her introduce to my grandparents. I kissed her in the Bahamas. I mean, like, we were getting married. So I come back from the Bahamas. I'm going to buy the ring. I'm going to do the whole deal. She calls me. I'm at school. She calls me. She's at school in North Carolina. I'm at school in Florida. She calls me and she says, Chet, we got to break up. The Lord told me we have to break up. Um, Sally, that was not the Lord. That was the devil. Because the devil would never tell, the Lord would never tell you something opposite of what he's telling me. The spirit of God is unity and the spirit of God is peace. You're wrong. I mean, oops. <laughs> Sally. Pastor Jeff is listening right now and he's just shaking his head. He loves me. I'm telling you, he loves me. I'm red, I can't continue. So let's just, let me recover. So I tell Sally. So I tell Sally, I go, Sally, here's the deal. And she hung up on me. I was mortified. I was depressed. I was defeated. I felt devalued. I mean, I'm not the best looking guy, but I, I'm not the ugliest. I mean, why would you drop me? And you know what she said? You want to go serve God on the mission field, and I don't want to go on the mission field, so that's gonna, I'm going to let you go do your thing, and I'm going to go do my thing. And I'm just about to say, I won't go on the mission field. She hangs up. Four months of misery. Then I met Andrea. The hottest blonde you've ever seen on the face of this planet. I've seen Sally. <laughs> I really love my wife. See, maybe our perspectives are off. And all the while where I was so devastated, God was just going to present me with my gift. You see, it's one of those statements, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. How do we get that? When we feel so disheartened that our loved one is gone, how, how does God say, precious are they in my sight? Or Joseph, who's sold into slavery. Or yet then put into jail. How does he through this 13 years of this process of making him into the man of God? You see, maybe our perspectives are off because Joseph was always intended to be the prince of Egypt. And quite possibly, providence has a bigger view than what's right in front of us. See, Romans chapter 8, verse 37 says very clear, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul is not saying everything will work out our way. 
He's not saying that everything will work out the way that we want it to. What he's saying is everything will work out the way that God wants it to. And that is the best way. That is the best way. He's with us. You see, and all things work together for good. Can I maybe proffer a thought to you that it's God's good? It's God's good. Because when someone dies of cancer, it don't feel good. And how do we know, God, that all things work together for good when this doesn't feel good? Because God is good. And God is working out his plan. You know Corrie ten Boone. She was a prisoner in Auschwitz. Before she died, a friend went to her and said, Corey, here in California, Corey, and she was just this little precious, you know, bun on her head, beautiful woman, little Dutch lady. I had the chance to meet her. And Corey, you've got a garden in your front yard. You've always wanted a garden, Corey. Isn't God so good? She responded and she said this. When I was in Auschwitz, God was good. When Betsy died in the Nazi concentration camp, God was good. And whether I have a garden or I'm in a prison, God is good. You see... He's with us. He loves us. And despite the fact that we are perplexed or confused, like the Israelites were in Psalm 44, they chose to praise. Can we make the same decision knowing that he's with us, knowing that he loves us, and knowing that he is working out his good plan? But what happens if we remain perplexed? What happens if we can't get to the place of praise? What happens if we're living in the place of worry? Paul gives us an answer. And he says this, listen, are you perplexed? He says, are you confused? Are you anxious? He says, don't be anxious for anything, but pray. You see, all anxiety should do, all confusion should do, is remind me I need to get on my knees in prayer. And that's exactly what the psalmist does. Go back with me to chapter 44. I want you to see the psalmist goes to God in prayer. In Psalm chapter 44, this is the third part of this psalm. Listen to their prayer to God. Psalm chapter 44, verse 23. Awake! Why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise! Do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? Our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our body clings to the ground. Arise for our help and redeem us for your mercy's sake. This is real, man. This is real stuff. These people are crying out to God. Let me tell you what they're saying. Hello? God, are you there? Are you sleeping? Could you please wake up? Help. Do something. Tell you, God don't just speak King James English. My daddy always used to pray in King James. Oh, God. Changed his voice and all. Oh, God. 
Thou art an amazingest God. And everything ended with ST and, you know, these and thous. And it was just wonderful. And I would say to him, Dad, do you know God speaks Spanish? And can you imagine Spanish with King James? You know, olost. You know, it's like, it don't work. (laughs) Now Pastor Jeff is really going, oh, Lord. During the war in Liberia, Rebels tried to burn our house home, house down, and my wife was terrified. And I, being the man, I looked at her and I said, why are you so afraid? Now, I am terrified, but I'm the guy. So I'm looking at her and I'm like judging her. You know, it's like her sin looks worse on her than me. And I'm like, why are you so afraid? Trust God. <laughs> she looked at me and she goes, have you not read the Psalms? David said, when I was afraid, I cried out. I'm crying out, God help us. They're going to burn our house down. And she just walked around, God help us. Because my husband ain't doing nothing. You know, it's like, help us, God. It's real, man. We don't have to go to God any other way than who we are. Listen to what they're saying. Wake up. Do you hear me? This is a real prayer from real people who are going through real issues in life. It reminds me in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27. You can go there and refer to it. You remember, it's the disciples. They're on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had just spoken to them about the cost of discipleship. Now, if Jesus spoke to me about the cost of discipleship, the last thing I'm going to do is get on another boat with him to cross the Galilee. Because we've done this little trick before and we saw what happened. But the disciples are so wonderful. They get in the boat. They decide to follow after God. And what happens? Another wonderful storm. And the boat is breaking apart. And Jesus? (laughs) And I'm sure it was Peter. Why are you sleeping? We are dying. God, get up. He looks at him and he goes, you ain't got no faith, man. You ain't got no faith. Don't you know who's in the boat with you? And Jesus goes, shh. And then the disciples go, whoa. Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I'm reading it going, hello. (laughs) He's Jesus. He's with you. He loves you. He's in the boat, man. You can see him. We can't see him. You could see him. There he was. He'd walked on water. He fed the 5,000. You watched this whole deal. And you're worried? And how much more will Jesus have to do for you to get the point across, I'm with you? Remember, Paul pointed back to the cross. He loved us. What else would he have to do to show us his love? Why are you afraid? Oh, you, oh, me of little faith. Don't let storms move you to fear. He says, I am with you. Be at peace. You see, this kind of faith, this kind of faith, 
The kind of faith where you can be at peace through a storm, it makes you not a conqueror. It makes you more than a conqueror. Now, let me define this word conqueror. It means to dominate. It means to rule over. It's the statement to say, my circumstance will not determine me, but the God who loves me will determine me. And so in that same prison camp, when Betsy was dying of pneumonia, Corey's sister, there was another, she walked into the, 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 the cell that they had given her, and she looked at Corey, and she goes, Corey, there's fleas. Corey, we got fleas. Corey goes, what are you, sick? Fleas, they're going to bite us. No, listen, Corey, she says. The guards, they won't come in because of the fleas, and we can tell people about Jesus all the time. Fleas, Corey, we got fleas. More than a conqueror. One of the inmates, they looked at Betsy and they said, Betsy, how can you say there's a God who loves you? Look at you. You're dying. And Betsy responded and she said, you look around you. And that's why you say what you say. I say greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. That's more than a conqueror. You see, someone who's more than a conqueror is someone who God rules over their problems. Their problems don't rule over them. More than a conqueror? My daughter's world, 17 years old, is soccer. She got invited to five colleges this summer, pre-scholarship programs. She's ranked. She's an incredible player. Until one day in May, she took one step. ACL, MCL, meniscus, both sides tore. She's down. Two days after surgery, I, I don't know what to say. And I looked at her and I said, Elia, I'm sorry. She goes, Dad, God has a purpose for this. And I'm going to come back stronger. Thank you, Elia. I feel about this big right now. <laughs> because you, Elia, my darling, are more than a conqueror. You see, someone who's more than a conqueror chooses to praise when they're perplexed because that's when the peace of God will be found through prayer. Are you more than a conqueror? Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for your word because we wouldn't know how to behave if your word didn't speak to us. And some of us right now are going through our trouble and our trial and we need you. And so church, listen, we don't have a lot of time, but I want to pray for you. You're in your trial, confused. You feel devalued, deflated, devastated. Would you just stand right where you are? I want to pray for you. Say, Pastor, that's me. I don't know what in the world is going on. But I want to be more than a conqueror. And despite the fact that I'm perplexed, I want to choose tonight to praise. Amen. And just, an, just an act of surrender. As I pray with you and for you, would you just kind of maybe just hold your hands out and just 
Just receive his love. Just an act of surrender. Our Savior. There's a part of this scripture that's just hard. Tribulation and persecution, peril and sword. Lord, I can just imagine being the Roman church reading this going, I'm more than a conqueror? Father, we come before you because our desire, our desire is to praise you though we don't feel it. It's a choice. It's a choice to believe you love us and you're with us. Would you pour out on us this grace right now, Lord? Give us the fortitude and the ability to say we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Just whisper that prayer. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I don't understand, but I trust. I don't feel you, but I know you're there. I believe. Help my unbelief. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Would you touch each person standing, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen.